Would you please join me in prayer as we approach our time in God's Word? Lord, we thank you that you are a God that speaks and a God that teaches and instructs. And God, that's what I pray this morning would occur for, for all of us here this morning. Lord, that you would take words of this story thousands of years old and apply it as you have for thousands and thousands of years as generation after generation of people gather together in places like this all over the world and ask you to speak. Uh, you've done it over and over again, and we pray that you would do it this morning. We pray that you would sharpen our minds to understand, that you would soften our hearts to respond, and you would strengthen our lives uh, to, to go out and implement what it is you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I grew up in Wisconsin, and so you might consider this a little bit of a surprise, but uh, I've never really been a great connoisseur of cheese. You know, we just wear them on our head, right? Uh, but just this past week, Beth and I were at a store, and we tried out some cheese samples. And uh, Beth was just enthusiastic about this, and the guy that was offering us samples of cheese was equally enthusiastic, and he was describing every particular type of cheese. And these cheeses were aged cheeses. I've never really had an appreciation for them, but as I tasted them, one different from the other, there was just sense, such a sense of awareness of, just the remarkable difference in flavors. You know, that you would actually take a cheese and over time, as it ages, it gets dry and crumbly. And actually, as it does, the flavors become more magnificent, really. Isn't that interesting that actually the necessary ingredient for appreciating cheeses like that is time? It really shouldn't be a surprise. There are a number of things in life that are that way. A good bottle of wine. You'll see bottles of wine and it'll have a date on them. And I don't know that much about wines, but I know that aging is a part of that. That there's actually some benefit, some uh, development of tastes that are there because one has taken time to let the wine sit. It's true for patina in architectural uh, displays. You see copper that looks beautiful to start with, and then you wait for the oxidation to take place, and it becomes this extraordinarily beautiful architectural feature because of time. It's true for majestic pin oak trees. You can't go to the uh, Glen and Garden place and buy one of them. These incredibly huge, magnificent pin oaks, uh, they're beautiful because time has transpired. And time is what actually allows them to most, be most beautiful things. There are things you can't produce overnight. In fact, it's even in our, our language. We will say, well, only time will tell. It just takes time. In fact, it's the time that's the great thing because it actually allows something to be told. And in Scripture, you hear stories of the way God was at work, and then there are these statements where it says, in the fullness of time. It's like God just kind of accumulated all of these pieces, and time got full. And it was the time that allowed this remarkable display of God's grace to be seen. Time, time is an actually a remarkable thing. Some things are better with time in the world around us, but in our lives as well. And if I were to summarize into one sentence what it is we're going to be talking about this morning, it's this, because certain th significant things need time, smart people will take time. Because certain significant things need time, smart people 
will actually take the time. And we're going to look at some specific areas that we can apply that towards. But first of all, I want us to be brought back to the story in Genesis chapter 42 and 43 and 44. We're not going to look at all of it this morning, but uh, you may want to look at it later. It's actually a remarkably attention-filled sequence of events. It's one of those stories, actually, we're going to read another part of it. And my guess is that there will be some of you that will just flip me off and you'll just keep reading because it's really a fascinating story the way it goes. If you just hold off on that desire <laughs> because there's some things that I want to take some time uh, to develop uh, in this text. We're actually going to spend two weeks in this section of 42, 43, and 44 because there's so much there. And I want us to address this one thing first. It is a tension-filled sequence. It's tench, there's tension for Joseph. You can feel it. There's certainly tension for the sons. You get a sense of that. And then there's tension for his dad. And even there's tension for those of us that are listening to the story. I mean, we knew this day was coming when the story began. You know, Joseph's there saying to his brothers and to his dad, in fact, someday you all kneel down before me. And we knew it was coming. We knew that it would happen. We just didn't know what it would look like. And, and you just, well, how is this going to play, play itself out? And why did he do that? And what's that all about? And there's just this tension and suspense that's a part of these interesting twists and turns that are even a part of the story at this point. But there's a part of me, and I think it's probably true for all of you, that just can't wait for resolution, Right? And, and this is, you know, chapter 42, chapter 43, chapter 44. It's to, I want to get to the resolution of it. And it doesn't come till the end of 44, even into chapter 45. And can you imagine what it must have been like for them, this, this the longing for resolution to take place? And it went on days and months and perhaps even years along the way. Who can't wait for resolution of things? I want things to be made better. You know when I want it? Now. I want clarity. Do you know when I want it? I want it right now. And yet we see this taking an extended amount of time. So a couple things I want us to notice here. And the first is this. God made time. He did. Uh, literally, he made time. You go back to the beginning of this book, Genesis 1 and 2. And you see that actually God constructed Days of the week, months of the year, years of, of, of existence. God actually made time. He made it literally. And for those of you that love theological study, you know, there are even these questions about, is time even something that abides, that exists outside of us? It, it, is time a part of eternity? Which actually isn't even a sentence that works, is it? Is time a part of timelessness? You, you know, you get that. And you can even see the tension in other places in the text. You say, well, when Christ returns, uh, when he returns, at the end, we will meet him in the air. We'll be, we'll be there in his presence at the end of time. And then we read that passage where it says, um, we have once, uh, you know, you know, you know once, we, once we die, we see God immediately, uh, face to face. It was, well, how can these two things be true? And so there are all sorts of um, questions about soul sleep and other things like that. But uh, it's, just, it's just this puzzle for us. And then you talk about, well, what about after this life is over and there's a thousand-year reign? And it seems like, well, is it a thousand years or is it eternity? 
And, and we may puzzle over that one. I'm not going to get there this morning except to say this, that in some way we know that when God creates the world, he inserts in the world this feature called time. God is comfortable with time. God is comfortable with time. In fact, God actually saw its benefit. He actually uses time. Now, some of you might cringe because you know what time does uh, to your life and to your body. You say, yeah, time's not good for this body right here. You know, this decay and this aging that's a part of it. And I would just say, well, that part of the equation was our addition, frankly. Uh, what time does to destroy or to decay, we actually added that. But there is God who made a world, and he made time as a part of it. And he's more than comfortable with time. He actually uses it. That's what I want us to look at in this story here, that God uses time. And we see after the text we've already read, beginning in 21, of, verse, of chapter 42, then they, they said to one another, this is after the three-day uh, timeout occurred, and Joseph goes back to them and says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Look at their response in 21. They said to one another, surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He, that is Joseph, turned away from them and began to weep, but then turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and they left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey and saw his silver in the mouth of the sack. My silver's been returned, he said to his brothers. Here, it's in my sack. Their hearts sank and they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this thing that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we're honest men. We're not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, this is how I will know whether you're honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take the food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me so I will know that you're not spies but honest men. Then I'll give you your brother back and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, you've deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, you may put both of my sons to death if I don't bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care. I will bring him back. But Jacob said, 
my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you're taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrows. What a sequence of events. You can just feel the tension in it, can't you? You know, when we talk about a God who uses time, and we see the way he uses time in this story. Early on, we read about the testing that was a part of what Joseph was doing. There's this testing that's a, that's a part of this. And it, it's actually pretty deep, and it's through this whole story. Joseph, it seems, is asking the question, let's, let's see if you will abandon yet another brother. They don't know who he is. He knows who they are. They're the ones who abandon a brother for their own gain. And Joseph says, well, let's see if you'll do it again. Let's see, let's see how you will treat favoritism express, expressed to one of you. I mean, I know what you did with me being the favorite. Let's see when I just provide more than enough food for Benjamin at the table, how you'll deal with favoritism. You see all of the things that are part of this? Let's see, let's see what your relationship with your dad is like. You know, I wonder what it was like when you went back and told him the story. What, what, what by the way, was the story you told your dad about me being gone? And, uh, and how, how is that working out for you in your relationship with your father? So you can see these layers of what this test is about. And what Joseph is doing along the way. And one could look at the story and say, well, wow, it looks like Joseph is just trying to get his revenge now. The tables have been turned. But this isn't malicious. And, and even as it's written, we see that that's not the, the intention. It's a turn of events, but this is a turn of events that's without the selfishness and with, without the cruelty. And, and we're reminded of that even right away where it says that um, he recognized his brother in verse 8. And it says, but then he remembered his dreams about them. It, it wasn't because he was angry. It was because he remembered the dreams. And that even is a bit cryptic. But we look further and we see that what God is doing in the midst of this is working his intentions out through time. God uses time. What does he do with it? Well, first of all, God uses time to bring conviction. We get to verse 21, and these brothers say out loud what they must have been wrestling with in their heart for years. I, I, my guess is it's one of those things where they didn't even talk about it anymore. But it filled them with just regret and and, and, uh, and, and grief, and it had just festered inside, and you see it exploding to the surface as they point the fingers at one another, and they sense this great, great um, 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 regret. This is the kind of remembering that brings regret. You know how God uses time? He actually brings us to the place where we remember the things that are worthy of regret. You know, there are there are things in our life that we just, we just don't even want to bring up anymore. We want to pretend that they didn't happen. And you know, God doesn't do that. There are actually things back there that, uh, that bring regret. And the reason why God brings regret in those circumstances is because there's still more work God wants to do. That's what's happening here. 
And the work begins with the regret that occurs when one brings it back again. You see here a, a deep remorse, and there's actually good in that that we will see soon in this story. But this is the way God works. You know, when Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, he told his disciples, it's actually good that I leave, and I, I'm going to leave with you the Holy Spirit. And one of the roles that the Holy Spirit is going to have in the lives of people in the world is this. He's going to convict us in regards to things that are broken, that need to be repaired, that need attention. He actually does conviction. He actually brings remembering into our lives that brings regret. We hear it in the psalmist in Psalm 139 at the end of talking this anthem about how incredible God is and all that he knows and sees and does. At the end of it, the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. God, I want, I, I want to know it. I don't want to repress it. God, I want you to search me. I want you to dig it up. The stuff that still needs to be worked through. And God does that over time. God does it over time. You see, there's nothing wrong with conviction as long as the conviction comes with connection to the one who actually will work in our lives all the things we need. There's nothing wrong with conviction as long as we do it in connection with the one who will do the work that still needs to be done. And we actually see the connection in this story here. In the midst of the story, we see a God that uses time to bring conviction, but we also see a God that uses time out of love for us. It's actually his grace that he does this slowly. The psalmist says in three different psalms, and it's other places in the Old Testament too, that God is slow to anger. What does God do with time? He takes time. He is slow so that we might grow and so that we might end up in a place that's better for us than we were in. I mean, how many of you know somebody that you've seen in life just misbehaving in some way or running roughshod over a principal or a person and you say, somebody ought to do blunt force trauma to that person. You know, why doesn't, why doesn't, God, just, why doesn't God just step in and beat them over the head? And, and you see, he actually doesn't do that. We may think others need it done to them, but seldom does he do that. But he works over time, slow to anger, because he loves us, and he wants something better for us in the end. Now, they didn't realize this. They were looking at God, and they were saying, God's here to punish us. Every reference they have to God in this text is a reference to being fearful of him. There's a sense of dread. There's a certainty of punishment that's a part of it. And yet, in chapter 43, verse 23, actually, when Joseph Steward comes to them and they say, we want to give the money back, we want to give the money back, please don't hurt us. The steward says in chapter 20, uh, 43, verse 23, it's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sex. I received your silver. This is just a complete counterpoint. You think God's doing horrible things? Guess what? He's the one that's giving your life 
treasure. People don't necessarily realize it along the way, but, but God's showing compassion to them. We even see God's compassion expressed in what God did in Joseph's heart. Because we don't see this angry, vengeful spirit in Joseph. In fact, in chapter, in verse 24 of chapter 42 that we read, Joseph had already forgiven them. He hears what they're saying, and what's his reaction? He goes and weeps. He does it again later in the story. I mean, he's in the midst of this grueling, long, tension-filled deal, and he can't expose himself. Why? Because God's doing something, and it's taking time. He can hardly bear it. Joseph can hardly bear it because of his love and the forgiveness that he has already for his brothers. And there's this confusion that just swirls around in the story with people that don't realize what God is really like. You hear the confusion over and over again. In verse 13, one of the brothers says, you know, one of us, one of the brothers is no more. Is that right? No, it's completely wrong. They're completely wrong. Verse 36, the father says, everything is against me. Is that right? No, completely wrong. Verse 38, you will bring me to a sorrow for death. Is that right? No, completely wrong. We get to chapter 43, and they're about to go into Joseph's home, and they said they're going to attack us. Are they right? No, they're completely wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. What's right? <laughs> There's a God who is at work over time, through time, because he wants to do something that can only be done over time in a way that is constructive and beneficial. They didn't realize God's love, and they didn't realize that God was at work. We don't see God at work a lot of times, do we? You know, Eugene Peterson tells the story of being in his kitchen or sitting area, and he was, it was in the fall, and he was looking out over his backyard, and he had this tree, and hanging from the tree on a chain was a bird feeder, and it was a still morning in the Pacific Northwest. And he was sitting there, and all of a sudden, just right in front of his eyes, he saw that bird feeder hung by a chain just drop. No outside explainable circumstance. It wasn't that a bird landed on it. It wasn't that the wind blew. It just dropped. And Peterson said, you know, I realized then that that was getting ready to drop for months, maybe years. Something was actually happening over time that no one actually even noticed or realized. But it was getting ready to drop for a long, long time. It's not that nothing was happening. It's that nobody could notice. And that's what we see here in God. We don't always see God's work, but this story and so many other stories in Scripture remind us He always is. And it's always good. God uses time to bring conviction. God uses time out of his love for us. And God uses time to bring restoration, not decay, to bring wholeness and maturity. And we know this. We know this is the story of the cross. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But this is the intention that Christ had when he came and when he died. 
He died not only to forgive our sins, but to allow us to live in freedom. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it full. Not to be a shell of what you look like when your life is carrying around all of this stuff that you don't want anybody to see, certainly not to talk about. And yet there it is. God draws it out. And he brings us to those places of conviction. And he does it over time. And he does it with this purpose, that he wants us to live a whole life. A life that's characterized by integrity. That's all the pieces are there and all the pieces fit together. And we see it happening here with Judah. In the midst of this, we get to the end of this saga. And in verse 44, the, verse 33 of chapter 44, Ju Judah finally comes to the end of himself. And he says to Joseph, he says, I give up. Take my life. Just don't, just don't do that to my dad. Take me. And here's a guy who over time has finally come to the place where he says, I'm going to own up to my life. And there's a nobility there. There's a sense of, I know what my life is for. My life is for this. It is to be given away. It is to be uh, willing to own up to. It is to be characterized by integrity, by a strength by a robustness that says, here I am, I'm yours, and my life matters, and I'm not hiding anything anymore. God has dealt with it, and I'll do whatever it takes. You see, there is a wholeness and there's a maturity to that point. This is what God wants for our life. Not to walk around with secrets, with stuff hidden, but to walk to God with it. And then to say, I'll own it because God has taken it and I'm going to live in wholeness of life and give my life to whatever it is God has for me. So I'm going to get to this third point and we can talk more about this uh, next week. But, and it is this, not only... Um, did God make time, but he uses time. But thirdly, he gives things time. He wants us to give things time. Because certain significant things need time, smart people will take time. I want to suggest two categories of that. The first is this. Uh, we ought to, because significant things happen over time, uh, we should take time. And we should give others time. Give others time. You know what this means to give them time? It means when you see the messy stuff, the stuff that irritates you or gets under your skin, when you see the stuff that's broken and shouldn't be there and it actually hurts you, give others time. Give them time. Don't expect perfection now. God's still at work in their life. Can you actually give them the time that God will use to let them become different than they are? Don't expect perfection now. In fact, don't expect imperfection later. Because God just is doing this all the time. He's taking the imperfection in a person's life and he's working on it. He's doing that in my life. You will never see the same person twice. They've given themselves to the Lord. Guess what? 
you'll never see that the way it is ever again because God's going to work in their life. Give others time. And you know what this does for our relationships with other people? We don't have to be nervous for God. He is at work. We can actually be connected to imperfect people because we know over time what God does. And if we're willing to give others time, we can actually live in relationship with them the way God wants us to. And then there's this other piece of it, not only to give others time, but to give God time. He actually uses it. Give God time. Take time to listen. Take time to hear from him. Any of you out there that don't yet have a pattern of devotions? Don't yet have established in your, in your daily life time for God. He's this extraordinary presence and he's masterful at using time. And so God wants us to give it to him. I know, I know, you go through the McDonald's line and you can get a burger in 60 seconds. What kind of a burger, right? But I mean, there's a sense of it. We, we can get stuff quick. Well, we can. But the kind of stuff that we most want, it occurs over time. Give God time. There's another dimension of this. Give God time as you listen to him, but give God time as you serve his purposes. It's actually what he has for you. For us to be engaged in things over time, not jumping from one thing to, thing to the next, but to be involved over time in people's lives because that's where the encouragement comes. One day we actually see the chain break and the plate free itself. And if we stay engaged in the calling and the ministry God has for us, we get to delight in knowing it's true. He does it over and over again. He does it in my life. He does it in their life. In the midst of the darkness and the difficulty, there is this rich thing that God is always doing. Give him time, and you'll see what happens with it. But there's one other dimension of it. Not only do we give God time for us to listen to him and for him to point out the unfinished business in our life, not only do we give God time in serving in his purpose, but we give God time to work. We give God time to work. And if we give him time to work, uh, we don't have to wait to worship him until the work is done. I don't have to wait till the fullness of time. There's stuff I want to know from God. God, I don't get this. And when I do discover what it is, when I do get it, I'll worship you then. God, when you do that thing that we've been praying about, I'll worship you then. Why wait till then? Why wait till then? Why not just know this? He's at work. And I will worship him now rather than waiting for the fullness of time where it's all done and then I can praise him because of what he did. He's doing it right now. So let's worship him right now. God uses time. Let's give it to him. You know, just a, some of you see this uh, ring on my finger. I actually have my wedding band and then I have this other wedding band. It, it's my dad's, my dad's wedding ring. And I, I remember looking at his hand for years and years and seeing that simple gold band all marked up. My dad was 
into cars and mechanics and all that stuff. And it, it got pretty beat up. It still has a, a crinkle in it. And uh, when my dad died a little over 10 years ago, I said to my mom, I, I want that ring. I want my dad's ring. And I was the oldest son, and so, you know, it has its privileges, right? <laughs> and so I just said, Mom, Mom, I want Pa's ring. And so she gave it to me, and I uh, came back home, and then I found out that I had another brother who also wanted it also. And uh, I heard that Mike was just a little bit ticked off that I had the nerve to take Dad's ring home with me. And... Uh, he wanted it. Some of you know my brother was a quad in, in a wheelchair, and so he really didn't have much available to him. And, and I just got really irritated with my brother. I'm the oldest brother. I get the ring. I never said that, but you know I felt it. And, um, and then uh, God took a little time with me, and uh, I, I gave it to Mike a uh, number of years ago. And Mike had it for years. And every time I'd visit him, I'd see Pa's ring. And then my brother died just this April. And uh, the day before he died, he called Jane in, who's my sister's working with kind of stuff for Mike. And he said, Jane, make sure Mark gets the ring. And, and Mike gave me the ring. And uh, I've got it now. And it not only is this rich remembrance of my dad, but it's a remembrance of my brother. I almost missed it. The things God does over time, the thing God, things God does when we take the time and give it to him. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you are a gift-giving God. We thank you even for the conviction that you bring in our lives that turns us around and heads us back in the right direction. And Lord, in a world that is so busy and crushed, pressed for time, God, I pray that you would help us to know how to take time, to value time, to give you time and to worship you in the meantime. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.